to live righteously. It's time for another episode of the Cultural Hall. It is an Articles of News episode. It's episode number 434. Who? I can't by, wait till we're to 500. I know, listen, it's coming quicker than you think. Two episodes a week. Maybe we're going to do some special stuff around General Conference. We could be there by April of next year. Serious? Yeah, could be. Right about, let's have a race. Us to 500 or a cure for coronavirus. Uh, oh, okay. I'll take that. <laughs> A cure or a vaccine? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. I think those well, are two completely different things. Wait a minute, Russia has it. We just lost. Oh, but but then people are like, man, not really, not really a cure. They're speculative. They're like, eh, I don't know, Russia. I mean, sure, they put someone into space first, but we can't give them the credit of a vaccine first. <laughs> well, I, I'm just glad that they have it first, so they can test it. I don't care if it's a Russia or Paraguay or Greenland. Try it out first. Yeah. Let us know how it works out. Bro- Brother Kyle, they're all our brothers and sisters. I, I, I know. I hope that you're not saying that people from other countries are no. less valuable. Oh. Their lives no, are less valuable. absolutely not. But they are not me. <laughs> so. I love Wait. the crap out of you. <laughs> you know, you know uh, I, I know that you don't listen to uh, episodes of the Cultural Hall. You barely pay attention when you're with me. Uh, right. But last week we had a uh, a new panelist join us. Her name is McKenna Jensen, and uh, we got to know her a little bit. She's a, a bit younger than I am. I think mid-20s is what we established. I appreciated everybody who emailed us and said, is that a baby crying ever so softly in the background? The answer is yes, not hers. It was the people that she was staying with. Um, but we got an email about her being on the cultural hall uh, last week that that someone sent so yeah so i i i think i'd better share it uh you can yeah. you can get to it contact at the culturalhall.com i think or you can uh, go to the contact us tab uh at the culturalhall.com both of those might work if you don't hear me read your email know that i didn't get it because i try and read every single one of them this is from lifetime listener a lifer if you will says wow The ignorance was and is overwhelming. I've written about this before, but today's episode was glaringly bad. If you're going to call yourselves articles of news, know your news! Exclamation point, and it was in capital letters. To not know Sunstone is pretty bad for our Mormon news podcast. So McKenna Jensen, uh, as she co-hosted last week, she shared... Uh, a, an article about one of the um, like sessions from uh, Sunstone. And, and she said, I'm not really sure where that is or where it's founded or what they do. And I had to say, okay, this is who they are and where they're, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and so, um, and so very quickly, this person got frustrated with it. The email goes on to not know stuff. Oh, I already said that pretty bad. Hannah, yes, is young and ignorant. So now I think this person is getting things confused because we also, in uh, the third block of last week's articles of news, we had Hannah Syriac who wrote the um, petition for BYU to be more Christ-centered. We had her on explaining what that petition is about. Uh, She says, Hannah, yes, is young and ignorant, which has made her work and podcast thus far hard to digest. Her recent stuff on BYU classes and professors also bears this absolute ignorance and just precipitates to capitalize no credibility from the moment 
of lack of sunstone awareness. Come on, Hannah. Come on, folks. So I, uh, I want to say, first of all, thank you for sending an email. But I do want to correct that uh, there were two different people on last week's episode. Hannah was the one who talks about the petition. Uh, she also, I believe, works for Fair Mormon and does some podcasts there. That's who was in the third block. The person that was in the first and second block was an entirely different person uh, who didn't know what Sunstone was, but also didn't know who Wilford Brimley was either. So they were very young. Y- yeah, and that's all that it Which is. Which we said. So, yeah, that's exactly what it is. I don't expect somebody younger. I mean, I, I know stuff, and I'm going to talk about it later, that I know about that younger people won't. Right. Uh, and they know stuff like if if she were to talk about Post Malone, yeah. uh, Mr. Emailer, would you know who that is or would you say, oh, yeah, does it, he still play basketball? It's the No, it's the era of the jazz since Carl Malone got traded to the Lakers. Right. <laughs> it's Post <Yes>. Malone. <laughs> so uh, I ask that people be patient, uh, Mr. or Mrs. Lifetime Listener. That's what they put their name as in the uh, in the uh, email. Uh, I would ask that you be patient, um, but that's what this is all about, an opportunity to educate people about, um, you know, what everything is, uh, what resources are online, uh, where we can find more information about our faith and, and podcasts and blogs and all those things. That's part of what we serve, and we're able to have that discussion. Now, if McKenna came on next week and said, oh, what is Sunstone, and didn't know at that point, then I then I feel like capital letters and an exclamation point in an email are appropriate. Yeah. It's I, I'm not surprised that she wasn't real familiar with them. So And and I wish I wish, brother Kyle, because I think you're it would do your cold dead heart good uh for you to go back and listen to how I explain uh to McKenna who Wilford Brimley is. Oh okay. I will so do it, that. So it's worth going back and listening to and obviously anyone else who hasn't listened to episode 432, last week's Articles of News. Uh, we get there, but it, but it takes a hot minute. <laughs> and I'm all hopped up because I just barely got this email. And so I wanted to make sure that we shared it. Because normally I ask, how you doing, Brother Kyle? Oh, yeah. I, I'm doing good. Yeah? What's yeah. new? Yeah, What's... We, uh, we uh, got the kid yesterday to the eye doctor and uh, getting some things settled up because he is moving into a dorm. Because he's going into college. Oh yeah, uh, the, the big the big uh, scholarship week. college. Yeah, yep. So he's moving a whole twenty five minutes away. Sure, it's so a big yeah. It's a big move. <laughs> well, uh, I mean, the place where you live, you have sort of had or kept that place because you want to have room for him to be able to come stay with you. Now that that isn't a thing, are you looking to downsize? Maybe uh, downsize from the two bedroom home. Yeah. Uh, no, I'll probably stay here. Yeah. You know, have okay. an extra room of storage. Yeah. Okay. All right. In the two bedroom, one bath home, then yeah, well, it'll be crazy. And he's going right. off to live in the dormitory, but are his classes in person? Uh, it will be. Uh, he explained it to me and it was confusing at first <laughs> well, and then later. That's because that you didn't go to college, you dummy. I know. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be curious to see how much he is there. And how much he is home. Right. I mean, that's, um, that's first semester of college 101 anyway. Like, I remember I came home most weekends my first semester. And then I was like, this is a fool's game. Why am I doing this? There's rules at home. Sure, my mom makes me dinner and does my laundry, but that's it. 
Yeah, and and, and he's got you know his uh, incredibly expensive uh, list of toys like his, his razor and his bicycle and his snowboards and and stuff you know that you can't keep in the dorm yeah. maybe your snowboard or something but you know all of his toys are here and, and the lap of luxury here uh like no other yeah so i i don't and i didn't say well i don't know if you should move into a dorm i'm like sure experience college i'm excited about it that's great yeah um and, and he has a, a, a some meal thing where they like you know feed him terrible food sure uh, sure sure and so I'm I'm all about it, but I'm I'm wondering if after a few weeks he'll be like, ah, four kids in my room sucks. I'm gonna oh, yeah. go back to my own room. <laughs> Especially where he's not that far away. I never understood right. that living on campus and being so close. Right. If he was out of state or down in southern Utah, you sure. know, four hours away or something, sure. But yeah, when he's 25 minutes, uh, we'll see. Gonna miss yeah, him. Goes. That's what I hear. That's what I hear. Overwhelming here. I I will. And I, I was talking to him about it yesterday and, and some of the things that he wants to still do. So, but it's, it's just more grown up. He's got to spread his wings and fly, mm, mm. leave dad in the nest to, you know, be ravaged by the snakes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're right, but come on, come on. Uh, anything else going on? No, that's, uh, that, that's the news from here. What's going on with you now? Well, it's tomato season. Tomatoes are starting to come on. I'll tell you what, and I'm not just saying this because I know that my wife who edits the podcast episodes will hear this, but with tomato season comes caprese salad season, and and I don't know what she does, and she thinks it's just me trying to, you know, pass the buck and make her make the caprese all the time, but she puts something on it or, like, knows the balance or pays attention. Uh, For people who don't know what caprese is, it's... It's super pretentious sounding. It's uh, tomatoes, fresh mozzarella, basil, finely chopped, and uh, like a uh, balsamic vinegar, or you can do a balsamic vinegar reduction, which is essentially just like you boiled a bunch of balsamic vinegar till it got thicker. And yeah, I don't know what I don't know what she's doing. I don't know the mixture. I don't know the ratio. But there have been a couple of dinners in the last week that we have had caprese, and that's been all I've wanted to eat because they're fresh tomatoes, fresh basil, you know, this freshly made mozzarella, and I'm just like, this is heaven. This is so great. Oh, yeah. I I love tomato season. I don't have a garden, but my neighbor does, and and they said, hey, pick any time. We're going crazy with them. Got them coming out our ears. So I go get them. Like literally every day I go get a couple it, tomatoes. It's pretty great. And and it only lasts for just this short window and, you know, then it'll go away and then it'll suck weather-wise here in Utah. So I will just take tomatoes as long as I can. But man, I'm I'm just loving it. Zucchinis as well. We've got zucchinis coming out of our ears and I've had grilled zucchini with every meal for the last mm. week as well. But, you know, I'm not complaining. Then in a few weeks, you're going to have to go to the store and buy a tomato because you're like, I'm on a tomato kick. And then they'll be terrible. Yeah, they'll they'll be crystallized water garbage. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Take that to the bank. We we sound like two old men. It's garden talk with Richie and Kyle. You want us to test your soil? (laughs) Send it. Post it. Shipping and postage. Is it shipping and postage? I remember when they did this by horse. Uh, We've got a sample here. Let's somebody just send in a turd. Now you kids quit sending this in. It's it's a show that all they send is turds. (laughs) (laughs) 
and it definitely has the you know the banjo entrance and exit music right right well all right i'm glad to hear you're doing well and i'm just well fed let's take a break and come back and do actual articles of news coming up in the third block uh we visit with a guy by the name of jacob rue he is a byu sociology professor who uh he wrote a letter with three great guidelines to the uh, Race and Diversity Committee at BYU about what changes he thinks are not only feasible, but would be a great first step down at BYU. So that's coming up in the third block. Let's take a break and come back and do actual articles of news. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Consumer alert! Consumer alert! Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. There's an extremely insane computer infection called Zeus Zbot infecting hundreds of thousands of computers across the world. This infection is super malicious because it puts you in danger by recording every keystroke you make into your computer, stealing your confidential information, including your banking passwords. You could be infected and never know until you have all your money sucked out of your bank account. At PC Laptops, we can help. If you think you've been infected or just want to be safe, please bring in your PC no matter what brand it is into any one of our locations right now and we'll scan it for free. Why are we doing this for free? Because we want to impress you so much that if you or any of your friends need a computer, service, or phone repair, you come to PC Laptops first. Get into any one of our locations right now or check us out at PCLaptops.com. PC Laptops, where computers start at $7.99. PC Laptops, we love you. Time for the second block of the Cultural Hall. It's Articles of News. Hit it, Peter. You can't lose Articles of News. And away we go. I thought this was interesting. Uh, this is just sort of funny to set us off on kind of a light note. Uh, this was one of those articles where it's like, what is it for your state? And uh, I am on a Google alert that anytime something that has uh, the word Mormon, I get a Google alert sent to my Gmail. And so there is a, a town in California called Mormon Bar. And I think, okay. Huh. Well, that's 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 sort of ironic, isn't it? That it would be called Mormon Bar. So then it goes through all the states, and I just want to hit a couple of these because I think it's interesting. There's a place called Frog Eye, Alabama, Eek, Alaska, Catfish Paradise, Arizona, Booger Hollow, Arkansas. Uh, then we got Fearnowville in Colorado, Terramugus, that's in Connecticut. Actually, I'm just going to do them all. I'll do them quick. Flea Hill, Delaware. Sop Choppy, Florida. Hope You Like It, Georgia. Volcano, Hawaii. I've actually been there. It's beautiful. They have a great restaurant there right by the mouth of the volcano. Uh, Beer Bottle Crossing, Idaho. Chicken Bristle, Illinois. Bean Blossom, Indiana. What Cheer, Iowa. Now, these are pretty funny, don't you think? Those are. Those are good. I like those. Okay. Yeah, I'm just looking at those now. So I'm not done because there there is a point to this, and I'm going to do Utah very last. 
Skitty, Kansas, Paintlick, Kentucky, which I thought was appropriate. Waterproof, Louisiana, Baldhead, Maine, Accident, Maryland, Satan's Kingdom, Massachusetts, Free Soil, Michigan, Castle Danger, Minnesota, Possum Neck, Mississippi, Number 8, Missouri, Big Sag, Montana, Worms, Nebraska, Jackpot, Nevada, Dumber, New Hampshire. <laughs> it's probably Dumay, right? But it looks like Dumber. I don't know. Cheesequake, New Jersey, Elephant Butte, although I want to say Butt, New Mexico, Handsome Eddie, New York, Why Not, North Carolina, Zap, North Dakota, Dull, Ohio, OK, Oklahoma, Boring, Oregon, Frackville, Pennsylvania, Woonsocket, uh, Woonsocket, Rhode Island, I should say, 96, South Carolina, Plenty Bears, South Dakota, Bean Station, Tennessee, Ding Dong, Texas, Mosquitoville, Vermont, Bland, Virginia, Big Bottom, Washington, Booger Hole, West Virginia. That's my favorite. Egg Harbor, Wisconsin, Chugwater, Wyoming. And because I know the most of the listeners that uh, listen to the Cultural Hall, uh, aside from our huge contingent that we have in the United Kingdom, as well as those that listen in New Zealand that are from Utah, uh, here's what I just thought sucked. It's Nibley, Utah. Yeah. That's not funny. No. Not, not that great. Not... Compared to Booger Hole or <laughs> Ding Dong? Yeah. Come on. So with, uh, you know, our, our, our friend of, uh, I guess he's a, a convert of the Cultural Hall, Spencer J. Cox, who's going to be the next governor of the state of Utah, former guest here in the Cultural Hall. You know, he'll be able to make an executive action like we're seeing out of Washington, D.C. for the state of Utah. We're going to see if we can get him to just executive order the name of a town and make it something stupid. It's worth a That's shot. That's a good idea. Let's let shot. the kids vote on it. Yeah. Facey McTown face. <laughs> Utah. Yeah. I mean, at least give us something like that. Uh, and then I wanted to do this because, you know, sports are what we live by, right? I make mm-hmm. I make this prediction. Uh, on the 7th of September, uh, BYU, that is uh, headed by uh, Kalani Sataki, uh, and Navy, who is head coached by Ken Niamotololo, uh, both members of the church, they'll be playing uh, at the Navy Marine Corps Memorial Stadium. That's on the 7th of September. That game wasn't on the original schedule. BYU is supposed to play Utah, but because so many of the um, the conferences have decided, yeah, it's a pandemic. Maybe we shouldn't play football in the fall. Maybe we'll play it in the spring. It is my thought, and I want to mark this on the day that we're recording this. So this is Monday, August the 17th, that this will be the only fall football game. BYU hmm. versus Navy. It'll be on primetime, and it will be the only game that will be played this fall. If so, ratings will be huge. Yeah. Well, and, and, and to be fair, ratings for BYU games, because there's such an affinity for that, uh, you know, across the nation. We're not as big as, you know, your Bama and that kind of stuff, but ratings are good in all markets for yeah uh, for a, a BYU game. You get Navy in there, and that's, the, that's our, you know— our nation's military, you make a big pomp out of all that, boom, it will be the only game that will be played this fall. Yeah. Huh. Well, we'll see. What have you got, we'll Kyle? What have you got? Uh, there is a song, Hello, What's This? Uh, it's the opening song from the Book of Mormon, the play. Hello, my name is Elder Price, and I would like to share with you the most amazing book. Is how it goes. Well, it's been voted the third best musical opening number of all time. 
ever? It's, yeah. It, so, uh, yeah, Pillow finished just behind Welcome to the Rock from uh, Come From Away. Okay. And Alexander Hamilton. Oh, of course. Uh, of course, but I don't know. You know, did they go back a ways, you know? Like, are you, you're saying, like, Paint Your Wagon has a rousing opening number. Are you thinking something like that? Right. Or okay. from, you know, one of these old ones. But, yeah, those are all right. I'm not very familiar with Come From Away. It's a it's so. a great show. Come From Away is, uh, I can't remember the place. Greenland? Netherlands? Something with the ends in Newfoundland. That's what it is. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, a, a plane or a bunch of planes had to be grounded in Newfoundland uh, during 9-11. You know, when they, they were like, clear the skies, there's no more flights happening. And so in in this particular city in Newfoundland, all these people from all these different places, their flights got grounded there. And for a short time until the skies opened up again, they all had to be there for one another and support one another. And, you know, many of them, they didn't have all the things that they needed in order to exist. So they had to lean on one another in the town, which is normally a very, very small town. But because they had an airport that could accept these large jets, the jets landed there and, and accepted these people. It's a great show. The num the opening number, and this is going to be embarrassing, I don't, I can't remember uh, the opening number of that song like a can of Book of Mormon or of, of Hamilton, but, but it's a great show. It's one of those that you come away from and you go, oh, humankind can be good if we're forced to, and then we forget weeks later. Mm. Yep, haven't seen that one yet, and I won't for a while till Broadway opens again. Mm. Yeah, January at least of 2021. You know, speaking of upcoming openings, there's a groundbreaking ceremony that is going to be happening the 26th of September. This will still happen, even among the global pandemic of which we live right now. The 10th Temple for Brazil. Uh, mm. It's the Brasilia Brazil Temple. Uh, and there is a rendering. You can find the links, by the way, to all of these stories at theculturalhall.com. No Moroni on this temple. Oh, I'm telling you, mm. and people aren't believing me. And now you're starting to see like LDS living and these different online print things talk about, oh, you know, it wasn't always we didn't always have Moroni on the temple. We are setting the stage to no longer have Moroni on the new temples. Well, yep. You predicted that a little and, bit ago here. So yep. we'll see. Yeah, and you can bet I'm going to let you forget it. I know. <laughs> <laughs> What have you got, Brother Kyle? So this sun past Sunday, my family got together for uh, a few of us for outside. We ate dinner together, kind of Aww. at different tables. You That's know? nice. Social, it's socially or physically distant, but socially close. Yeah, uh, for our family dinner that we haven't done for a while. So, And we somehow got talking, and my sister got me on – first she thought it was a website, but it is a YouTube channel. Okay. I went to this YouTube channel – and have been down a rabbit hole several times now with it uh, and cannot get enough. It's called Hard to Find Mormon Videos. Mm -hmm. And it has everything from, I mean, from the 60s, 70s, 80s, and today, all your hits. <laughs> it has conference talks, but, but more importantly, it has, uh, here is the, let's see, the top 10 videos that are on here right oh so like by most views is that what you're yeah. saying okay yep i went by the most views most popular on the site saturday's warrior oh of course a cup of coffee oh you know what the so people know exactly the kind of thing i want to play just the very end of a cup of coffee 
right here. Which so is from 1980, hear. by the way. So people when... can hear just a little bit about yes. what, <laughs> what classic nuggets you can get here. And I'll also make the link <laughs> available at theculturalhall.com. Are you sure? Yes, she was pouring a cup of coffee. I don't believe it. Well, it's true. I thought she was such a good member of the church. Shh, here she comes. Hello, how are you boys? Uh, fine, how are you? Are those the pictures you took of the game last week, Neil? Yeah. Oh, I'd like to see them. Do you have a minute? Sure. Good. I have to take this cup of coffee down to Mrs. Olson. She hasn't been able to get around very well since she broke her ankle, but then I'll be right back. <laughs> She's taking the coffee to Mrs. Olson. And we thought she was going to drink it. <laughs> <laughs> so that's just a small clip of a cup of coffee from 1980 uh, on the YouTube channel Hard to Find Mormon Videos. Give me the rest of the top ten. Uh, we, we also had uh, The Rough Face Girl, hmm. Mr. Kruger's Christmas. Uh, yeah, 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 you want some chocolate? Yep, that's another one from 1980. Johnny Lingo from 1969. Uh, Mahana to Which is about child trafficking. Uh, on the Way Home from 1992. Oh, the West, Amy Westerby's uh, debut film. Yes. <laughs> uh, the Last Leaf, which I don't remember. The Last Leaf? Oh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. The Last Leaf is the kid who's sick, and he, he's looking out of his window. It's a, it's a story that isn't necessarily church-related, but he's looking across the way uh, at the brick wall, and it's fall time, and, and the leaves are starting to fall, and he kind of predicts his own demise that when that last leaf from the wall or from the vine falls, that's when he's going to die. And, oh, boy. And what happens is... Uh, he doesn't die. I'm not going to do a spoiler alert because I know people are going to go to hard to find Mormon videos on YouTube and find all these. But I'll have to watch it and see, and maybe I'll remember it. But he lives, and I and it's a miracle, a literal miracle, Kyle. You should watch it. I I will watch it. The others on here that I saw, I remembered from uh, from uh, my days in in seminary. Uh, blind Love from 1979. Hmm. Uh, a blind man is going to regain his sight through an operation, and oh. his wife worries that he'll think she's ugly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that one. Yep. Uh, another classic here from 1978, Uncle Ben, the story of an alcoholic who seeks custody of nephews and a niece orphaned by an accident. Yeah, we just mentioned that uh, recently in an Articles of News, so people can check that out there. That's cool. That's great to have all those uh, resources available. It, it is, and, and this one, because all this, all the videos made back in my era were all sad and horrible, mm -hmm. like incredibly depressing. Cypher in the Snow. Did you see that one from 1973? <laughs> a boy steps off a bus. This is how the story goes. And he dies in the snow while all the other kids are looking. Yeah. As he says, and they're all watching as the kid falls face down in the snow and he's dead. Then his math teacher has to write his his obituary. Yeah. This oh is the my movie. gosh. It's 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 so sad. And the math teacher has to write the obituary because that was this kid's favorite teacher. And he's like, I I, I barely even spoke to him. It's so right. sad. <laughs> Such a it's, it's horrible. You know, some of these you can find, by the way, coming uh, on your Living Scriptures app if you get that. And we'll hear from some of that uh, 
coming up with uh, Russ. We're going to check in with him later on in this episode as well. Hard to find Mormon videos is what it's called. A gem if you want to waste hours on end, for sure. You will. You Especially if you're a little older and you remember some of these from the 70s and 80s that are, oh my gosh, they're bad. And a lot of them are are not uh, an actual movie. It's a slide presentation. And and during this, I'll sit here, please now stop the tape and flip it to side B. <laughs> but it's, it's great voice <sighs> acting for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, BYU Education Week. Normally, it's on campus in Provo, Utah. Uh, it will now be held online on October 7th. In fact, the week of the 7th is when these classes will be. There will be 50-plus classes. It's a $49 ticket. Uh, you can, if you purchase into BYU Education Week, uh, you can watch these videos as many times as you would like until the 21st of March. You can find the complete list of classes by going to educationweek.byu.edu or find the link that says Education Week in the show notes for this episode. Uh, another just interesting thing is as we're kind of plowing through a lot of this, there is an article that was in the New York Post the headline is, I'm a gay man and happily married to a woman. This talks about Skylar Sorensen and his wife, Amanda. They are members of the church. They live in Utah County. He is gay. They are married. And there are, do, do, let me just say this about that. Do not read the comment section of this article. Do, do not read it. <laughs> don't, don't think, oh, I can handle this. Don't think, oh, I'm going to get on and whatever. Just, you know, just, just read the story if you want to be familiar. Here's a quote from it, just in case you're curious as to what it might go into. It says, being in a mixed orientation marriage, that's when one is gay and one is not. I guess it could be other things as well. Uh, but being in a mixed orientation marriage is like going to Disneyland and having some people tell you that you'd be better at Six Flags. Six Flags may have more roller coasters, but it'll never beat the happiest place on earth. And that's <laughs> the kind of stuff that you can find in that article. Uh, hopefully, and I want to be able to talk to them about this because it is a it is a fascinating story to be sure. Hopefully, Skylar and Amanda will be a future episode of the Cultural Hall. What else do you have, Brother Kyle? I got one more. Okay. Uh, so Joe Biden and Donald Trump are seeking to convert Latter-day Saints their presidential campaigns. Yep. So Vice President Mike Pence traveled to Mesa this week to help launch a new coalition called Latter-day Saints for Trump and shore up the usually reliable Republican LDS voting bloc in the state of Arizona. Mm -hmm. So they are starting campaigns just for Mormons. It's our own little uh, political group. Yeah. Of I don't, I don't know. And the Joe Biden one, uh, they rented a room at the Hilton. Uh -huh. uh, literally a hotel room. And so that all the Mormons voting for Joe Biden could meet in that hotel. <laughs> That's just me making that up. Stupid. Uh, we've been contacted via Twitter from the LDS for Biden group. We have not. We And we have sought out the LDS for Trump folks. Uh, we're looking at maybe doing that as a future episode as we get toward mm. the election. Uh, the first question that I would ask is, aren't we instructed to not affiliate ourselves with a particular party and or person? I mean, we we sort of get away with it where we're like, oh, yeah, you know, the predominant party. But this seems a little on the nose when it's LDS for Trump or LDS for Biden. Right. We're supposed to vote our conscience or whatever. But I, I guess you can try. It's OK to try and persuade people say, hey, look, here's why my guy is better. Yeah, I guess. But can't you just call it the 
hey, here's a group of people that think their guy is better. I guess it has yeah. to be a little bit more specific. Uh, with that, though, you know who Jenny Oaks Baker is, Kyle? Uh, name sounds familiar. Who is that? Violinist, uh, daughter of mm. Dallin H. Oaks, uh, he who is in line to be the prophet of the church should something happen to President Nelson. She, I believe, lives in Arizona, if not traveled uh, to Arizona to be some part of the um, the presentation of the LDS for Trump and shared on her page uh, that she was really grateful to have uh, met Vice President Pence and and for all that he and for President St- Trump stands for. And let me say this about that. Do not read the comments on her post. <coughs> it is you have never seen so much infighting within the church as the comments on that. She hasn't taken it down. And so to her credit, I say kudos. She made a post and has stuck with what, you know, what she posted, whether I agree with her or not. She didn't take it down. But it is some of the most vicious speaking I have ever seen and or heard from members of the church to other members of the church uh, about politics and 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 uh, political parties. And it's. It is it is going to be a long three months, like with the pandemic alone, long three oh, months. Yeah. But let's yeah. let's add a uh, what will look like a nasty uh, presidential election on top of it. So buckle up, kids. Send your <laughs> send your kids to school. And then yeah. fi- and then finally, this uh, the church announces that uh, there is temples moving to phase two. Pretty exciting. Uh, and worth noting, uh, some of these are in Utah. Uh, there are seven, ten that are in Utah that will be moving to phase two and seven that are elsewhere. I'll blow through them quickly. These are the Utah ones. Bountiful, Brigham City, Cedar City, Logan, Mount Timpanogos, Ogden, Payson, Provo City Center and Provo, Utah Temple and the Vernal Temple all will be open for phase two uh, beginning the 17th of August. What's phase two, you ask? It's where you can get endowments for yourself. Or you can also participate in ceilings for yourself. So this is um, if people are going on their mission, they haven't gone through, received their endowments, that is going to be open for folks now. Now, what it isn't available for is, say you passed Kyle and I wanted to go through the temple for you. I'm not, they're not doing any sort of proxy things. It's living ordinances only. And then Mm. the seven temples uh, internationally that will move to phase two are Adelaide, Australia, Uh, Anchorage, Alaska, Brisbane, Australia, London, England, Medford, Oregon, Nauvoo, Illinois, and Perth, Australia, all moving to that. Uh, And then on the uh, also on the uh, 17th of uh, August. So today, uh, Bern, Switzerland will move to phase one. Oaxaca, Mexico will move to phase one. And Tutla Gutierrez, Mexico Temple will move to phase one. So. Uh, there will be a return, obviously, at some point to all of these. Uh, phase three, just so people know, uh, opens a temple for all ordinances, including proxy ordinances for ancestors and opens patron housing, clothing and cafeteria options. However, church leaders have indicated that those proxy ordinances for ancestors will return it in a restricted manner that they have not yet outlined. And then phase four is when we return to like how it was before we got in this sweet, socially distant, physically distant and safe phenomenon we're living in currently. Mm-hmm. You doing okay? 
Yeah, I'm doing good. You're going to be all right? I'm going to be okay. Work well? Yeah, it's good. I'm out of waffles. Can you get me some more waffles? Uh, Yeah. Are you out of waffles? The energy waffles, I ate them all. Yep. Now you're out of energy. Yeah, that's why I I sound the way I do. I need more energy waffles. All right, I'll get you more power waffles. Send them along? Oh, yeah. Man, that's hard to get to you now with social distancing. I'll meet you you in a parking lot, and you can just leave them. And we'll hope that no one will touch them for 24 to 48 hours so the virus can die, and then yeah. I'll pick them up. And the ants don't get them or yeah, somebody yeah, else yeah, gets yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're packaged. They're packaged. Yeah. Be safe. Wash your hands. Yes, you too. Let's go get some tomatoes and eat. Oh, yeah. Okay. Coming up in the third block, talking with Jacob Rue. Uh, they call him J-Money. We'll get into that. That's coming back in the third block of the Cultural Hall. <laughs> Here we take the opportunity to travel via the internets down to Texas where we can find out what we've been watching and what we have available to watch on Living Scriptures with our very own Russ Wild. Hello, Rustifer. Hey, Richie. What's going on? Uh, uh, I mean, I know that's not your name, so I'm sorry. Let me apologize. Russell. Tell me what you are watching uh, on Living Scriptures. This week, uh, I was excited to see uh, a movie called Seven Days in Utopia. Okay. It's uh, one of the new films that are on this week on the app now seven days in utopia is a golf movie okay with a spiritual twist on the end okay uh, what is what is this um it's about a golfer who uh loses touch with reality and has to like find himself and does, he does that does he go on back a golf from, course does he go back from the big city to the small rural town where he's able to there connect? you go is it now yeah and the, and it, it's actually uh was filmed in a place called utopia texas which is just up the road from me <laughs> i actually did a news story on the set of this film this was the uh this was the film where i got to meet boo radley okay so this uh, is so this is a christian film not right. a church of jesus christ of latter-day saints film correct correct it stars Robert Duvall and some guy I can't remember who's the younger star, the golfer. Um, Robert Duvall plays the uh, older statesman golfer that teaches him about life and uh, makes him wax his car before he can learn how to fight karate. And, and paint the fence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So that's that's what uh, I was excited to see. I, 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 even though I went to the set while they were filming the movie and I did a story, I talked to Robert Duvall about working on the project many moons ago. Mm-hmm. I, I never actually watched the movie until I got the chance to see it on Living Scripture. So I was pretty excited about that. Cool. What else? What about the kids? What are they just devouring? Um, we've been, uh, you know, we're into the the war chapters in the Book of Mormon. If mm-hmm. you're keeping up with Come Follow Me. And so uh, they've been really excited because we've been building towards the uh, the army of Helaman. Yeah. And that's what's, what's happened on this week. And so they've you know, for our scripture study, we're going to forego uh, trying to make the four, six, and eight-year-old read the scriptures. We're going to let them watch the stripling warriors come about. Nice. Uh, what about your wife? What has she been enjoying? Or have there been things that you guys, when when the kids are all in bed, that you've nestled into something? You know, the thing we went exploring this week is there's those hidden Mormon films from the past. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, I found one that traumatized me as a child. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the bridge no i'm leaning in tell me about the bridge now um i just want to read to you uh what someone has said about the bridge on imdb quote i would never wish this video on anyone as it caused <laughs> me depression as viewing it as a child oh my gosh now, 
Now I watched it, and it's one of the few uh, movies that I remember watching at church. And it, like that guy said, it it's pretty traumatic. Mm-hmm. And we we talked about it, my wife and I. And she's like, "Oh, I want to see that. Let's watch that." And she started it. And the little boy in the movie has really blonde white hair, like our kids. And she's like, "Nope, can't do it. Nope, can't we're do done. It. We're done." The gist of the story is that uh, there's a guy whose job is to uh, switch the train bridge, and it moves things in place. And he gets out there and has to do it by hand one night and realizes that his son had followed him out there. Oh no. And so he, he had to make, has to make the decision. Do I, do I save my boy and cause the train to derail and, or do I save my child? Do I save the train? Do I save my child? Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty intense. And it was intense when you were a primary kid watching this. I'm like, what the crap? How do I make that decision? <laughs> And my wife refused to watch it because the child actor looks similar to one of our own children. But I watched it and it is just as tra- traumatizing as it was when I was uh, 10 or whenever I watched it as a kid. Did you agree with the choice of the man in the movie? It's No spoilers. Make... No spoilers. You, it, it's, uh, you know, then I went down the rabbit hole of like, is this a real story? Did yeah. this really happen? <laughs> and it's, uh, I mean, it's. There's an interesting Snopes article about the whole, you know, the origin of this tale. And it's a, it's a, it's been around for ages. Interesting. You know, the, the, a concept of does a person sacrifice his son to save many? You can see the parallels. Yeah. The metaphor for sure. For sure. You know what I'm going to do in the show notes? I'll leave a link to that Snopes article as well as to a place if people want to get a free month of living scriptures, they can go click, get that uh, link. And make sure you click on that link. Don't just go willy-nilly to living scriptures. Make sure you use the cultural hall link. But maybe make your first movie not the bridge. No, 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 no. No, you warm but it's up. it's there if you want. You warm up to the bridge. You'll warm up to the bridge. Russ, take care of your family of 100. When does your wife give birth? Uh, as soon as the baby's ready to come out. Okay. We never know. Yeah. But like, any day. But like allegedly, it's any time now? Uh, we're in that window cause my wife always goes early and mm-hmm. we, again, we never know. So anytime, but her due date's not till September. Well, the nice thing is you can just sit the kids down in front of the living scriptures, give the oldest Here. one the remote. You watch Captain Moroni and we're going to bring home a stripling warrior. Yeah. We're off to the hospital. Thanks Russ. Here in the third block of the cultural hall, uh, take a second, won't you please? And consider supporting the cultural hall with your dollars with your with a credit card you can set it and forget it you go to patreon.com slash the cultural hall and for a pledge as little as three dollars a month it allows us to do things like zoom interviews and pay for the website rebuild which is currently going on and is expensive do you have any idea how expensive website stuff is i didn't until i got the bill and went oh i'm gonna need to get some more patreon subscribers do so it's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash the cultural hall or find a link for it in the show notes for this episode. Here in the third block, I welcome in Jacob Rue, or as I like to call him, J Money, here to tell us a little bit about, you may have seen this in the last week or so, uh, a letter that was written to the BYU Committee on Race, Equity, and Belonging. And I know there's a lot of discussion around it. Since Jacob was the one who wrote it, I want him to describe what it says, what it means, and why now. Jacob, welcome. Thank you, Richie. Thanks for having me. So uh, we've got a lot to cover and only these few minutes to do it. So I'll turn it to you and I'll ask questions if I don't understand something. You bet. So why now and what's in the letter? Well, now because I've had many brave black students, including Deborah Alexis, who's president of the Black Student Union, and uh, Don Isacor, a wonderful student who's head of Cornell Law School, who uh, came together and wrote letters expressing their experience as black students 
And they focused a lot and they wrote these letters to NACP, to leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and BYU. And they really focused on the fact that, you know, these building names at BYU really for them remind them that people excuse racism in the past. And I'll talk more specifically about one example in a moment. Okay. And that we should really think about, hey, these black students are almost all members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. And we care about them, students who are walking a lot of the campus hallways and campus grounds today, we should care about these issues. So we have this great, great new committee that's been formed, just like many other universities in the wake of the killing of George Floyd uh, and in big corporations, there's been new committees formed. This is the first time in BYU, as far as I'm aware, that there's been a university level committee that's majority people of color. Many of them are my colleagues. Most of them are my friends. And I told them my conscience compels them to write a letter to support the black students and to say, hey, Here's three things we can do. And I'll just tell you briefly the three things. Before we get to the three things, I, I want to point out a couple of things that you said. The two students that you sort of worked maybe most closely with, they are people who attended at some point, right? The one transferred to Cornell or moved on to Cornell and the other no, one for law school. They're both graduating this year. OK, they're both graduating. And then secondly, you said that these uh, the folks on the Committee on Race, Equity and Belonging are your colleagues, which if people don't know, you are, in fact, an employee of BYU. Yes, sir. I'm an associate professor of sociology, and I've been here since 2012. and I teach courses on race and ethnicity here at BYU. I think that's important to outline just because sometimes people will discount, right? If you're not within the system or, you know, we we quickly, uh, unfortunately, but we quickly go, oh, that person... Of course, that person from that institution or from, you know, somewhere without would say something like that. But you are coming from within saying, I feel compelled to share these things. Yeah, I did. So I'll just tell you the three things that I recommended to the committee. And I, and I told them I respect whatever decision they make. Mm-hmm. You know, the first one was to really wrestle with our history at BYU. You know, other colleges, William & Mary, Princeton, my graduate school alum, alma mater, uh, Georgetown, many others have wrestled with their history with slavery racism, uh, the way institutions benefited from these systems of exploitation. Mm -hmm. Nobody's proud of that. It's certainly not the only thing that defines these institutions. I'm very proud to be a Princeton graduate from what was formerly known as the Woodrow Wilson School of Public and International Affairs. Now it's just the School of Public and International Affairs. Mm. Every institution's had to do this. There's a new BYU slavery project that will begin its coursework this year. It's under the uh, helm of many different historians and history students, including students of color, Uh, My TA, Grace Solberg, will be a part of that effort. And so the first step is to wrestle with our history, make amends. And the students and others, such as Joanna Brooks and others, I think have a very good case to unname all the buildings. Mm -hmm. However, as somebody who's a faculty member, I don't feel that that's feasible that all the buildings will be renamed uh, this year. So I think that we ought to prioritize, but this is just my own personal opinion, right? I don't Mm -hmm. speak on behalf of anybody else. We ought to prioritize the ASB. When I was a student in the 90s, I had no idea what ASB stood for. Right. You just I knew it as the I ASB. Administration sure. building. Yep. I assume, you know, I don't know what the S is, but administration building, right? Mm-hmm. I think most white students were not aware. I think black students are keenly aware that it stands for Abraham Smoot building. And let's be clear. Abraham Smoot uh, held people as uh, what were called, you know, slaves and then also servants and servitude. But this was something that, uh, you know, we condemn in the Doctrine and Covenants section 101, it condemns slavery and bondage as a sin. And I don't think anybody wants to defend slavery. Some people want to go back in time and try to judge people's hearts. And I think the best historians don't make judgments about people's hearts. And I'm not a historian. They look at the record, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What does the record show? 
that Smoot owned somebody named Tom until he died two months before the Emancipation Proclamation. Hmm. And that was a fact that haunts award-winning historian Paul Reeve and many other historians. And sure, maybe Smoot treated his servants as family. Like we don't know, right. but we know that slavery was evil and it was a system that was upheld by good people, right? Yeah. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. There are good things today that, I mean, evil things today that people uphold that we'll look back on as well. So I think it's very complicated. I think it's very important that people understand the scholarship that's been done and there's been new things that have been found out. I think that should be a wide open process. I advocate in my letter that in the administration building, there should be an exhibit that remains about Smoot. It should stay there. It should be enlarged and it should include the names of Jerry, Lucinda and Tom, three black people that were enslaved as slaves and servants owned by as property by Smoot. And let's be clear, he didn't make his fortune off slavery. That's not what fueled BYU. He made his fortune other ways. This is is not an oversimplified argument that somehow, you know, you know, it's, it's because of these people, they should get all the credit. It should be more nuanced to recognize their sacrifice and also recognize the contribution of Smoot. And well, and, I think we have enough nuance to recognize both. And yeah. it's such an interesting thing to, to just kind of pick up around that. I mean, because so much controversy has been paid, particularly to the a- ASB or the Abraham Smoot building, there are a lot of people that don't know what his role is with the university, why they would even dedicate a building to him, right? And so within context, knowing that he that he sacrificed and leveraged a lot of his own possessions so that BYU could be able to continue as an institution, and that's why the dedication to him as a building, they didn't dedicate a building to him on BYU because he owned slaves, but to many, that's all they know about him. Yeah, that's right, and you don't want to go too far in the extreme on either direction, right? And right. And say he's just a villain or he was just a saint, right? Right, just right. Just like everybody else. Right. It's complicated. So I think that's important because it houses the offices of the president and the vice presidents of the university. And that's a disturbing symbol right. that that building would be named in that way. Now, it was named in 1961. Mm-hmm. Many of our leaders were born before that time. <laughs> yeah. Ancient history. I personally do not advocate that we should change the name of BYU because Brigham Young University was in the name from the beginning. I think that's a whole separate, totally right. different discussion. And, and then the second thing that the second two things that I advocate in my letter are just that we institute a new GE class general education course requirement that's based on a set of options that is around racial equality that students learn about race, racism, and how to you know institute equality, and that that be something that all students have to take. In order uh, to graduate at uh, BYU. I want to get into that a little more, but before we get away from the first sure. point, I, I, the, the reason why, in addition to the things that you've said, is I feel like the ASB becomes a- almost an easier and also symbolic choice, an easier move for the church to make, because it isn't a prophet, a leader of the church, right? It, I mean, he, he's an important figure f- for the existence of BYU, and, it, and it's an opportunity for the university to say, we hear... Um, what people are saying, and you know that they can be able to make some movement there, be which is a far different thing than if they're changing, you know, the Ezra Taft Benson this or the Howard W. Hunter that. At that point, I feel like there's a much bigger conversation. To me, the ASB, although you know the descendants of Smoot are like he was a great guy, I think that it, it I think that it's a very simple way that that uh, the administration of BYU can say, yeah, we hear you, and and we. And we would like to make this change. To me, that it just seems like a simple thing, like the number two, which is requiring GE coursework. Why do you think that that's so significant to to be able to take a course that focuses on inclusion? 
Well, the two reasons. Number one is I teach courses like that, and there's just job security. I, most, I hear you. <laughs> well, I have the most you know spiritual experiences I've ever had in my life in that class. You know, having such a diverse, integrated group of students uh, that's on average about 40% students of color recently. Wow. And having so many students of so many backgrounds really saying, you know, how do we do this? You know, BYU students are very much don't just tell me about the problems, tell me the solutions. So we study six different ways you know, to fight racism, institute equality, involve other people, you know, use our faith as well as social science scholarship, very meaningful class, you know, 80, 90% of the students say, hey, everybody should be required to take this. And it's been a very meaningful experience, just the journey itself. And having said that, these students will, you know, be able to do much better, you know, on the job and the workforce, graduate school later on, of course, in many, many different ways. You know, the other reason is what my TA, Rachel Weaver said, a Black American student, she said, you know, we won't be able to get to these other issues, you know, the other building names, the racism that Latino students face, you know, all these other dimensions, until more white students take courses like this and understand the problem and understand that, you know, as people of faith, and that's not unique to the LDS faith, yeah, that, you know, being a Christian, right, the civil rights movement, all these things were filled by rabbis and priests and pastors uh, led by Black Americans and Mexican Americans and others. Like our faith should animate us being against racism, right? We should be against racism because we're LDS, right? Not yeah. in spite of it. Yeah, yeah. But that involves, right, uh, instituting a system. And, um, you know, people like Paul Reed, for example, have done trainings for seminary teachers in order to teach the race and the priesthood statement on the church website, which is an official church essay now translated in many languages, because people have to learn these things in an instructional setting in a way that really inculcates the importance and maps onto their values. So the hope is that in five years from now, Richie or so, in five years, we'll have the majority of the student body, not just the majority of the black students right. calling for change. And I think that's the vision of the truth shall set you free, as it says in John 8.32. Well, and it's an interesting thing because you also have uh, going on on the campus of BYU that uh, petition that's like we need to have a more Christ-centered learning. And and on our last articles of news, if people haven't listened to it yet, uh, we talk with Hannah, one of the authors of that, and be able to find that. There is nothing more Christ-centered to me than like, as I have loved you, love one another, that this idea of inclusion. So that's one thing. And then another thing, another thing that I hear from a lot of people is, well, I don't think that that's happening here. And a, a very profound thing that I saw recently, I believe it was on BYU's Instagram, they allowed a takeover, which if people don't know, uh, it's where uh, an individual essentially is given the password and, and can post on the stories uh, for that particular Instagram account. And and you see in this Instagram um, takeover, uh, uh, Taylor, her name is Taylor Munland. Yeah, yes. uh, she she takes over BYU's Instagram account and essentially says, "Hey, here's my story," and and it isn't all about you know racism or things that 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 she encounters. It also is like, "Hey, today I'm going to the gym, and then I've got class, and then I'm this." But she talks about experiences of racism that she in 2020 has encountered while attending BYU. Real experiences, not secondhand experiences or thirdhand experiences. Things that people have said to her. So that's one encounter that that I know that we can r relay here. But then also, uh, let us not forget that in February of this year, at a at a talk about race, 
that three, I think it was three students sort of hijacked this discussion on race and spouted terribly racist questions and comments to those that were speaking. So, so it is an issue that sans changing the name of a building, like let's teach people how to treat people with more respect. And I think that this is an easy first step, but people will say, well, what, what general education requirement are we going to take out? Or, you know, now we're just heaping more education in order to get our general eds done. Do you have a solution for those? Yeah, it's part of a larger process of redesigning GE at BYU that's already been underway for three years. Mm -hmm. And they're committed to keeping it at the same number of hours, right? Similar number of hours so that this does not impose any type of burden. And, you know, a very interesting fact is pre-med students who take the MCAT exam, as of about five or six years ago, the MCAT has started to require sociology to understand the social determinants of health, be better doctors. And that has made my classroom better. Having pre-med students, I've loved it. And they've all written back to me and said, I love taking sociology. Some of them said it was the best class that I took in my whole undergraduate career. And I've been able to write letters for them. So if the people administering the MCAT think it's important, right, that's just one indicator that this is important for all students. Uh, Our time grows short, but I want to make sure that we hit number three, because I think three is another, like, what I love about the letter that you've written, and people can find a link to that uh, with the show notes at this episode at theculturalhall.com, is that these are very doable. Like, if you had claimed and said, we need to remove all the names from all the buildings, I would have said, Jacob, you're great, but that's not ever going to happen. These are doable, bite-sizable, and I love that you include within your letter deadlines for each of these things that are realistic that people can look at and go, okay, that could be doable by this time. What's number three? Yeah, number three is the most long-term. A year from now, hopefully we have a center for a campus center for racial equality, diversity, inclusion that has a fully paid staff that is fully funded, resourced with professionals, you know, great research assistants like Taylor Munlin and other students of color, white students as well, that really makes an investment based on the mission of BYU that says, wow, we can make a difference, right? Because we're BYU mm-hmm. and really prioritizes the recruitment of more faculty of color. We found in uh, recent data that, you know, the number of women among the, the junior faculty, pre-tenure faculty, pre-CFS is double, right? It's about a third of the new faculty that are younger are women, about hmm. one third. Hmm. And, and it's half that share among the senior faculty. So there's been tremendous increase in terms of gender recently in the past 20 years. And I think the next frontier challenge is to increase representation faculty of color and to enrich our pipeline, you know, graduate students and have more people have an experience at BYU as an undergraduate where they say, I would like to come back, right? right? Not, I would like to run away and leave and not have anything to do with BYU, right? Mm-hmm. With a very broken heart, many of those people, right? Who still contribute as alumni financially, but really for their own mental health, you know, cannot be back where they face so much discrimination creating an atmosphere where you want to have a virtuous cycle and they'll go out and tell people, Hey, come apply to BYU. And there's so many other things we can do. Just uh, the title IX experience where we've made so many huge strides, right. uh, Combating sexual assault. And I've seen the difference before and after it's not perfect, but it's night and day, you know, that kind of change hopefully can inform our idea to have an accountability system where, you know, the thing that happened at that panel, we'd have a clear way to stand up and say, Hey, this is not right. We have this process. We're going to report you. Uh, We don't think you should be expelled. I believe in repentance, right? But you should learn and grow. Uh, We didn't have that clear process, right? And and we were very frustrated that we couldn't, you know, find out who those people were and everything and so forth and so on. So I think a campus center will really help 
And I think it's very important that people of faith understand that we can map that onto our values, right? We can have that, have a unique mission at BYU and not see it as something being imposed, but us using our agency to act and not be active. How unique would a diversity center be? Do most universities have them? I think most selective institutions in the United States, as far as I know, have some type of center. I think there are certainly complaints from the political left and the political right about how much or how little they do. Some are do better job than others. I do think that we have great people here and we need to make more investments in hiring more people with expertise. But there are a lot of proven things out there in the Harvard Business Review, sociologists have published right. showing mentoring and other programs really help. So I think I think we have a lot of things that we we know work. We know forcing people into anti-bias trainings, things like that don't work as well. Right. We know that having diversity champions like my dean of our college of family homes, family home social sciences and having mentoring programs, those things work better. So I think we know from the research what works better. I think we can do it if we if we put our minds to it and that we have at least a year to prepare. I think we can do it. How has your letter been received either by your colleagues or those in authority over you at BYU? Yeah, I really appreciate your question. I've received very wonderful feedback from the committee who's working very hard. I said it's going to be helpful. I've received about 30 very thoughtful emails uh, from people and I'm not, you know, soliciting more emails. Sure, sure. But I haven't got hate mail yet. Maybe it's in my spam filter. And uh, I have nothing but the greatest support from my dean, from my chair, uh, from academic vice presidents here. Um, I think that many people really want to embrace change and do the right thing in this moment of 2020, right? When, mm-hmm. when black people in this country have been fighting for equality, right? Under the constitution, right? Uh, so hard with everything that's happened. I think a lot of people want to do what's right. And we have a lot of people ready to do it. We just need to do it. Yeah. To me, I sort of read through your letter and, you know, I had to read it a couple of times because you're academic and I'm a dummy. So I had to go, wait, is he saying, but to me, I, I kind of got done and I went, oh yeah, that's the least we can do. Like, These let's three steps. Yeah, like, let's, let, yeah. let's do, let's do these things. There will be some, as we look to change things that people are like, cancel culture and what are we going to do? Are we going to remove, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But I I really feel like this is a great way that we can say, hey, we want to be more inclusive. We want to show that we're having an opening ear. And I'll be honest with you, when I found out about the Committee for Diversity, I was in a meeting and and I heard about it because one of the, the people that administrates over me at BYU said, hey, you know, I'm on this committee. And I went... Wait, wait, what? We're doing this? What? what? Hey, way to go, us! We're doing, we're doing, we're taking steps. So kudos as, as far as that goes. And I, and like I say, people can read all that you have to say. We have certainly encapsulated it in just a few minutes that we've been chatting. Uh, how can alumni or members of the church that are listening to this that maybe don't have close ties to BYU, what can they be doing? Absolutely. I think a couple of things. Talk to people in your families, your network, use your privilege, educate yourself, write letters, And always, please find out the stories of Black pioneers, Black students, center on what they are saying. Remember that they are also, you know, members of the BYU community, uh, almost all members of the church, and and focus on their point of view and say, you know, what they say matters. Their life matters. Their idea matters. Deborah, Don, Rachel, Grace, Kofi, all the people I mentioned in my letter, they matter. Mm -hmm. Melody, they all matter. And remember, it's about them. And I think that really helps us, like you say, fulfill that great commandment to love thy neighbor. Uh, and it is an interesting thing, something that struck me as we've talked. As the church becomes more worldwide, the faces of the church continue to be more diverse. And we need to make sure that we're welcoming all, all, all people, all the peoples, everybody. Let's bring them all. 
Jacob, since you're the last part of this episode, you get the honor of being asked the three questions that we ask everyone. So hold tight. Here we go. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Yes, I do. Sunday school teacher. I've been missing teaching. I can't wait to get back to it. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Hmm, probably be a gospel and the equality outreach coordinator. I love it. <laughs> and, and who knows? You know, you say that sort of jokingly, but but who knows? The last question we ask everyone, and please interpret this however you would like, but the question is, what is your favorite part of your faith? Favorite part of my faith is probably learning from the pioneers who are saints of color. You know, people like Kathy Stokes, who's my first nursery leader. My first church leader was a black woman. Ignacio Garcia, veteran of the Chicano rights movement, who just went with me on the Latino Civil Rights Seminar. I think learning from these saints of color and uh, understanding the power that they have to teach us the true meaning of the gospel. I think that's my favorite part. Nice. We hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall.